I'm pretty sure we'll be in a very good mood. He is a writer for the Sixers SB Nation blog, Liberty Ballers, and the co-host of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez Sixers podcast. And if you don't know his name, you've definitely seen the product of his work because he's <laughs> one of the key guys who was behind the giant uh, Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast lottery party, which uh, they had about a million, two million, a billion, however many video clips all over the internet when the Sixers won the draft lottery. His name is Mike Levin. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Sure thing. Thanks for making time. I know it's been uh, kind of a crazy week, and you've been traveling uh, back and forth coast to coast. Thanks thanks for making some time. Yeah, listen. it's There's two months of the year when it matters to be a Sixers fan, and it's May and June. <laughs> so the rest of the year, it's whatever. But now, I, you know, you got to make some sacrifices. Yeah, and I guess I should say uh, people, uh, regular listeners, if any of them actually exist, uh, already know that I'm a Philly guy and a Sixers fan, And uh, but if anyone's tuning in to hear you or any of your uh, your friends listening, they should know I'm also a Philly guy, big Sixers fan, and that's obviously why I wanted to have you on, because I know you, uh, in particular, your your blog and podcast have been all over the news, but also it's just such an exciting week for to be a Sixers fan. It's the week we've really been waiting for for three years, so yeah, this was the time. It's been a good week. It's it's a lot of sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And yeah. I think that there's like that Negadelphian uh, – everybody has that at its core, just sort of like this isn't really going to happen, right? We're not actually going to get it. They're going to screw up somehow. Somebody's going to get injured or die. It's one of those things just waiting to happen. But I feel I feel great. Is, is this what people feel like all the time when like good things just happen? I don't, I don't know. know. It, and especially the swing, and, and I'm also a, a hanky loyalist and a process truster, just from being so despondent the night that he was – he resigned, you know, basically was forced to resign yeah. uh, from then until now. It's just been such a roller coaster. It's like we had a whole season's worth of entertainment in, in six small weeks. It's been honestly, can you think of a more eventful team in the last three years? Like they've won 37, 47 games in three years. And they've been the most eventful team in sports. It's been – well, them and the Eagles too. It's really yeah, – the yeah. parallels are crazy because the Eagles also bringing in Chip as like this revolutionary figure over yes. the same time period and then failing and being a national story and some people still being loyal to Chip even after I, he left. It's been – the two things happening at once has been kind of crazy. It's been a lot. A lot of uh, organizational dysfunction. Am I wrong in thinking that Chip Kelly doesn't have as many fans now as Hinky does? Um, I don't know if you're wrong. I think a lot of people bailed on Chip yeah, because of the I two did. bad I, years, whereas I think people stayed with Hinky because they kind of knew what yes. they were signing up for. And I was, I, I'll say, I was all in for Chip too. I love yes, 
for a lot of the same reasons as Hinky, just exactly. being willing to try something different. And totally. I loved his, you know, the analytics and the sports science and all the stuff Absolutely. he was doing, like, like all that kind of stuff, which, and like, if you read, I'm sure you did the articles about like Embiid and what the Sixers are doing and all of their like yoga and, and smoothies and things. And it's, all it's, of it. they're running similar. It, it was, I, I like both of them for the same reasons. Yeah. Absolutely. It's great. No, I think the, the, what I left, why I left Chip, uh, was, the decision to make him the GM also. I I am always, 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 always a proponent of keeping your coach and GM separate. I don't think it's ever a good idea to make that the same person. Yeah, and see, I didn't love that, and obviously it didn't really work out with his first season. I still, I'm like the last person who said I would have kept him because I think that you see so many coaches who get fired and then they go on and they win in their second job because they take yeah. all the lessons they learned in their first place and nobody ever has the patience to let a guy fail and then stay and learn and grow. And even even when they fired him, I was upset last year because I would have given him one more season. Yeah, I think it's just I, – I get – you know, and I was a guy who wanted Eddie Jordan fired, who wanted every Sixers coach prior to Brett Brown very fired. But I think that as, as you grow older and sort of like look at things, coaches are – replaceable so replaceable so fast and you're not going to get one that's like markedly better than the other unless they're in the top you know five percent of whatever league they're in so i generally am like yo if they're a good guy and their players like them and they're like they're progressing in whatever way they're progressing i'd rather the continuity in in a coach like that's why i want brett brown to stay because i don't think that you bring in a guy whether it's frank vogel or Nate McMillan, whoever, like any run-of-the-mill solid coach, and it'll just be it, – it sets you back in terms of, okay, we have to learn a new system. We have to learn how this guy runs a locker room. We have to learn all this stuff. I'd rather just – I think they – I think coaches matter so little in the context of making a team that's not good enough to win a championship – make them actually good enough to win a championship. I don't think that's their job. Their job is trying to get get the most out of that team. So I think the general manager and the owners matter far more. But ultimately, I just want a, an environment where people are not hating going there and the players can enjoy it and, and recruit other players to come there. And so we're attractive in free agency or whatever. And it's building a culture of, of improvement and working hard and all that stuff. So that's why I, you know, that's yeah. why I want to keep Brett and, other, and you, you other. use the C word, the culture. To me, that's huge. And that's what, even though obviously Hinky wasn't the coach, what I, the, the other thing that was similar between Hinky and Chip Kelly is that they believed in their culture and, and building a program and having a vision. And that's what I liked about both of them. Yeah. I, the, anyone with a vision, really. I, I, I likened it to like a, a very specific director because I'm obviously in L.A. and I uh, work in the TV and film industry, whatever. And so – there's people that are difficult that have a vision, but you can get fucking anybody to, you know, direct the battleship movie. Like it doesn't matter. But if there's somebody that you're actually trying to do something, like go get somebody who is actually going to take some chances and take some risks and actually have a vision. Yeah. Okay. So you, uh, I'm glad you mentioned uh, what you do because before we get too far into the weeds, and I'm sure we'll get back in. Um, I wanted to take a step back. So usually on this podcast, I have people who are in the media and they talk about their day-to-day -day and, and their work and stuff like that. So I wanted to have you on. Could you just first, as background, 
uh, give a timeline of your involvement with Liberty Ballers and starting the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. And uh, and I know you're now in L.A. and work in TV. So could you just uh, sort of to introduce yourself, uh, how long have you been involved with the blog and the podcast and how does that fit in with uh, being separate from what you actually do for a living? Yes. Yeah, so I was uh, I, I came on to Liberty Ballers about like a year after SB Nation acquired it. And so that was in 2009. I started writing for them. And uh, and then in around 2012, I became like in charge of it. I was co-running it for a few years. And then t- 2012, the guy who had been running it sort of bailed. And uh, and then it was just me. So then I ran it for about three years and brought some new guys in. And uh, in a couple years ago, when my real career was taking off a little bit more, I was like, all right, I can't be right. I always say that. I can't be writing rumors about like Mikey Moore getting a training camp invite. I don't know it was why it was always Mikey Moore. I mean, I remember writing that article, but he's the only one I always go to. Um, so I handed it off the day-to-day stuff to Jake Pavorsky and Sean O'Connor, and now Jake Pavorsky and Kyle Newbeck run it for the past couple of years. Um, and the Ricky started with me and Spike Eskin, who's my co-host, who uh, we started that. Uh, we've been doing it for about three years. I think it's been like three years, maybe, maybe even like we started talking because Spike used to be on the radio on, on uh, WIP, which is the uh, biggest sports radio station in Philly and, and houses a lot of awful opinions and bad narratives, but you know, whatever, not it's to each his own. Um, but me and Spike, so I, I started, Spike was a, a host that for like, at like the hours of East coast, I think like one to five or some weird crazy hours there so but on the west coast it was good for me because it was after work so i would go on the radio and talk to him and like five people would listen whatever and it was like oh we should just do this all the time so then we started the podcast which is horribly called the rights to ricky sanchez um which comes from the fact that the sixers acquired and then traded the rights to ricky sanchez who's a portuguese big man uh who the who i think the sixers traded him for sam young i always forget um but uh, but yeah, and that, and then, that coincides pretty nicely with Hinky's era. With Hinky, yeah. That so was... we we had the podcast. Um, we had done a couple episodes of the podcast before Hinky, but I don't even know that it was called the Rights to Ricky Sanchez yet. I think we might have called it that like right around the same time. So it would have been um, May 2013 uh, before the MCW draft. So yeah, so it's been uh, it's been a few. It's been a few very interesting years for Sixers fans and then for uh, me and Spike also. And it's been fun. You know, the, the, the lottery party was was wild. Yeah. And uh, and I, I definitely want to uh, ask you all about that. So so first, I mean, the the blog is basically I mean, the podcast is definitely pro hinky. And yeah. I think also Liberty Ballers, are you sort of all in agreement? Because it sort of feels like there's been. Uh, and I know people have thrown around the word cult to describe yeah. you and your following. Is yeah. that, I mean, intentional or did that just kind of happen that you I, all just saw the light and became a, a pro hinky blog? If I, if here's the thing, if someone actually had a decent argument that was anti hinky, then I would, we would entertain that idea, but no one's ever had a good argument that was, an, that was anti, not, not so much hinky anti process, because I think I, I disagree with some of the individual moves that hinky made the Jaleel logo for, pick was never one I wanted and I didn't I don't want it now I never at any point wanted that pick but um other than that there's just been you know 
you can say, oh, well, I wish they had signed a real point guard. And you can quibble if Kendall Marshall was healthy or not. And you can say, okay, well, I wish they didn't take Joel Embiid. But it's like, well, do you disagree with the fact that you take a big swing on a possible franchise player? Is Dante Exum really doing that much? Would Aaron Gordon have really put them over the edge in that way? And then it's like, okay, no. And then you ask, like, okay, what about, you know, Doug McDermott instead of Dario Saric? And then you, then people start to cherry pick, well, like, oh, well, they missed on Giannis and they missed on Rodney Hood and all these other people. And it's like, well, so did everybody else. No one's saying that Hinky's the best general manager in of all time. He was just – he had a plan. He was trying to put as many feelers out there and as many put as many irons in the fire as possible, whether it's assets or free agents – or not free agents, but – in any way in terms of second round picks or whatever. And it, he knew that some weren't, not everything's going to hit, but it was just the idea that mediocre teams come around all, all the time. We can get a mediocre team in a second if we wanted one, but let's actually really try to do something great. And so we took over a team that was trash, that had no place anywhere after the Bynum trade. There was no, I mean, Drew Holiday was really their only decent piece. And they started over and it took two years to start over. And then I think took sort of a step back because of the lack of a point guard and the lack of, I think, any meshing with Noel and Okafor. But, uh, but yeah, really it was just like that, that was the, it's not the right thing to do for every team. Not every team should tank or try to build through the draft or whatever. If you have something set up, then you should go like the Raptors are close and they should continue to be close and whatever. But the Sixers, it was the only thing that, that could be done. There was no there was no like half measure to get them okay a little bit closer to contending and anything. So for me it's like there's no argument. There's no argument about it. There's people that say, Okay, I don't like tanking, I think it's against the sport. And that's a different argument. That's a different conversation. It's if you there's just no way you can look at the team and I'm rambling because this is what I do. You know, there's, totally no way you can look at the there's no way you can look at the team that he acquired in 2013 and then look at the team now and see all the assets and flexibility that they have and say, oh, he did a bad job. Because, like, what what's three years of 30 wins get you? Look at half the other teams in the league that are just like, okay, we're close. There's 20 teams that are all thinking they're one piece away. But that one piece happens to be the most important player on their team. And Hinky's just acknowledged that and was like, yo, we got to go get that guy. And so we took a bunch of swings. We took Nerlens. I don't think anyone thought he would really become that guy, but he's certainly a weapon. Embiid, you know, is healthy by all accounts now, and hopefully he can become that this offseason and going into his first season of actual basketball. Okafor is an elite offensive player. We'll see what comes of that. And now we got the number one pick. So it's, there's a lot of things that could become that, but ultimately to just build because there's some edict to say, okay, it's time to get a little bit better. And top out at 30 wins to me was never the case of really – it's never appealing because the Sixers did that for years and years and years, whether it was during Iverson because they could never pair him with anybody or after Iverson when it was just mediocre guys trying to make Andre Godala a franchise player who's amazing. He's the best, but he's not a number one option on offense. Yeah, and they – they acted like maybe he'd be the number one player on a title team, and it's funny to now see him as like the fifth or sixth best player on exactly. a title team. It's just, you, and it's you like look at, that's what it takes to have well, other guys. Yeah. You look at all these other teams that are like really successful. You look at the Spurs, you look at the Warriors, you look at the Cavs or Miami back then, and it's like you have to have one of the legitimately 
top five players, usually two of the top 10 to 15 players to be actually good. And so who the fuck thinks that that Doug Collins coach Sixers team was like really close to anything? And honestly, it's a narrative built from the beat writers and local columnists who are saying we would like our jobs to be easier and it's easier and more fun if they're a playoff team, even if they're the seventh or eighth seed and then get totally trounced in the first round. And they also want quotes from the general manager. And Hinky was notoriously quiet uh, year round about giving out bullshit quotes. Now, Brian Colangelo, he's given out all the quotes in the world. He loves talking. He loves talking on the record. He's not saying jack shit. All he's saying is, you know, we're going to go get the guy and we're we're really excited about this opportunity. And there's some, you know, there might be some movement. Like he's not saying anything. There's, he's not like saying we want Simmons or we want Ingram. He's he's just talking out of his ass because that's what the local media requires. And they're all thrilled because he's giving them. That's like, also how every general manager in every sport speaks and yeah, just the yeah, boring, and the boring athlete postgame quotes and all that, how they're the, all just the same. A hundred percent. I don't blame Colangelo for saying that. I blame the local media and then to from there the national media for pretty much getting hinky fired or run out of town because of a bullshit narrative where like fans are demanding that he talk no one's demanding that he talks aside from the local media who have to do their jobs Uh, to me it was it was always a charade and if you actually ever and this is the longest answer of all time if you actually ever (laughs) i don't even remember what the question was (laughs) no i don't even you asked if I was in a cult. I think the answer is yes. Oh, okay. The, if you actually sat down and looked at what happened and just accept, accepted the fact that trying something bigger than an eighth seed and hoping against hope that they muscle their way into a Derrick Rose injury, which happened in 2012, and a Dang injury, and a Joakim Noah injury, and they can get to the second round and play a beaten-up Celtics team and take them to seven games, and it's like, hey, they were close. Wasn't that fun? And it's like, no, it's futile. It's pointless. And if you really want to contend in the sport, you have to take – you have to get either very, very lucky or take tremendous risks. And this was a risk. And it alienated a whole bunch of people nationally more so than locally. I I am – you know, the people that give a shit about the team still have been giving a shit because they see what 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 was built over the last three years. It's not because they're like, oh, now I'm going to come back to this team because, because Hinky's gone. It's like there's that. I mean, some people feel that way, but there's a lot of good things happening in Philadelphia, and it's because of the process. It's because Josh Harris trusted Sam Hinkie to, to orchestrate this plan, and then he got cold feet when shit started going a little bit more haywire. And it's a bummer. It's bittersweet. I'm fired up again, but all of this is because Hinkie laid the foundation. Um, for the team to be successful in the future. And it's up to Colangelo and it's up to ownership to, to cash in on, on what he's built. And hopefully, hopefully there's, I mean, there's a pretty wide margin of error because there's so many picks and options and stuff and cap space. But ultimately I think that, uh, it would feel a lot better if Hinky was here, but now, yeah. you know, it's Moses didn't get to the promised land. That's what a lot of people are saying. So it feels right in line with our culty nature to, to to bring some religious allegories into it. Yeah, and so obviously a ton of people agree with you because uh, the lottery party was huge. Uh, and I know you've done that in, in years past, but were you surprised at just how many people were there? And not only that, but how many of them were really there 
specifically sort of, you know, for the process and hinky crowd, they weren't just like excited. Oh, the lottery Sixers are going to be good again. Let's see what happens. It was really sort of like a, a hinky memorial uh, or almost like a religious festival. Are you surprised uh, just how big it got and how much attention you guys had uh, that, that this was the year that it just it blew up so much? Yeah. Well, you weren't there, right? I wasn't. Go? I was. Uh, I wanted to, but I was actually working. I was in the office that night, which watching the lottery with other non-Sixers fans watching my reaction to it sure. was interesting. And I, uh, I almost wish I'd just uh, uh, been home by myself instead of there in the office. But uh, no, I was basically following you guys on Twitter and seeing videos flying around. And I had a couple of friends who were there who were texting me about it too. But, yeah, uh, I mean, it, we we thought because we had we had 600 people show up last year, and it was at a Buffalo Wild Wings in the northeast the northeast philadelphia and uh and we were and people were turned away at the door because the w- buffalo wild wings couldn't handle that many people which was cool we felt like holy crap 600 people wow and so this year we were like you know we could probably get over a thousand like we could probably get over a thousand and then we watched as the parking vouchers we gave away free parking for xfinity live which is if you're not from philadelphia in in the downtown area right between all of the stadiums right between uh where the sixers eagles and phillies play right where Rocky fought Apollo Creed. Yes, yeah, sure, exactly. Right. And then the building uh, was knocked down into a parking lot, and then they built a bar there. Yeah, but it's right in between. It's very convenient and uh, and very central, so people could do all the stuff. So we had it there, and we were thinking like a 1,000 people. We were like excited about it. But then the parking voucher stuff going up, going up, going up, and we had to like cut it off at 1750 like the day before and we were like holy shit there might be this many people there and it was we don't we don't have a final count we're still waiting for xfinity to give us like a full answer but we think it was over 2000 because it was packed you couldn't move i kept so my parents were there my brother was there my girlfriend was there some family friends and they had a table by the front by the big screen and i couldn't when i would be in the back talking to people or whether like giving out t-shirts or talking meeting talking to people talking to Spike at the DJ booth, whatever, trying to get through this wall of people. It was very hard to get to. And I would get sidetracked by people being like, hey, Mike, and like showed me the shirt and like talked about that and whatever. So it was really like, it was a celebration. I think music, I think music festival, you were right on by saying it was almost like that, where you're like sort of in like a, a daze and everybody's there for the same reasons and nobody's, it was really like a, the people, somehow the people that listen to our podcast and, and read Liberty Ballers, um, they're the kinds of people who, not that there's, I mean, there's certainly groupthink and certainly that, you know, if you think about it too objectively, you get like, well, maybe there should be more dissent. And there is to some extent about whether it's Jaleel and Nerlens or whatever. Um, but everyone's on board with the process pretty much. So seeing everybody in one place, all agreeing on <laughs> what had to happen and just being like supportive and friendly and, there was no – we've had the lottery party for three years, and there's not been any, like, fights or, like, beer getting thrown at people. It's just been – everybody's very pleasant. It's 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 impressive. I'm, like, impressed and proud of the fact that, for the most part, everybody is a good person that, that is around. Especially but, not, not what outsiders would think from a yes. large group of Philly fans. Philly fans, exactly. And so Philly fans who the, everyone said, how can they do this to the fans? How can they do this when really so many people were on board with it? And they're like the most hardcore fans are the ones who yeah. were willing to wait. That's the thing is that it's always been like national people saying the, it's really upsetting for the fans. And it's like, no, you're not here. You don't know. I know. I'm with these people. So uh, – 
you guys have, have also gained a little notoriety, and there was the billboard incident with, uh, I think, was that just uh, through the podcast, you guys put up the, the hinky billboard outside the arena after he was fired, and uh, and I think a lot of people have taken shots at, at you and your group. What has that been like? I guess first I should ask how the billboard came about and, and whose idea that was, um, but what has it been like sort of just dealing with a lot of that notoriety and people slinging arrows and sort of... I don't know if they've blamed you for uh, for trying to drive people to that opinion or, or what that's been like, just seeing that kind of reaction. Uh, so the billboard was my idea. Usually Spike does all the stuff uh, because he's he's in Philly and he's more far more well connected than me. Um, but the billboard was my idea, and I said it, and I was like, we got to do this. Like we got to put up a billboard because it would just piss people off, and it'd be great. It would be hysterical if if we can get one right near the stadium. And so I told Spike, and he was like, "Yeah, we got to do it. God damn it!" And so we had planned on just splitting it ourselves, but I was like, "Let me let's ask some people and see if we can get some people to chip in." We could have done like a crowdfunding thing, but that would have felt weird and kind of gross to ask people for money for it. I, the people have volunteered money after the fact, but I was like, I feel good about it being a surprise and being just people that are for the most part involved with the Sixers with with Liberty Ballers and and the Red Streaky Sanchez. Um so we got some Liberty Ballers people donated so, uh our sponsor for the podcast LL Pavorsky uh who owns a jewelry store who's great who also donated a bunch of stuff with the lottery. He's become a mini celebrity also which is hysterical. Um so we all sort of donated so it didn't it didn't cost as much as it would have otherwise. But uh but yeah, we've gotten some shit from a lot of old school people, it's mostly old people that are pissed off and they're usually pissed off about everything because they're old and, they're, and they think that their generation was better. So I'm not – it's not surprising. I mean there's not there, – there's not only young people that, that were involved in the process or, or care about the rights to Ricky Sanchez, whatever, because um, there, there were people of all ages at the lottery party and people in their 40s, 50s, 60s were there and saying how they listen to the podcast and care about it. I think it's just younger people generally care more because they're more on the internet. They're, they go on the internet more, they listen to podcasts more. So the, the loud anti-process people are for the most part older and old fashioned and think the idea of losing on purpose and supporting a team that is losing on purpose is, uh, you know, damnation. It's the equivalent of, like it's an embarrassment to the league and how could you do that? And basketball is about winning and everyone should be winning. And if you're not trying to win, then you're a loser. And it means you're a loser. It's just like, it's just a loud, angry, get off my lawn without any sort of thought process of like, Hey, maybe there's another way to do it. Maybe there's another way because all these teams are trying to do it this way. Maybe we try to do it this other way and get a competitive advantage. Maybe that, but there's so people got mad, but I I don't give a fuck. I don't the, care. <laughs> Screw them. The Sixers got mad, and I because I know you've also mentioned because you're not. This is not like what you're trying to do with your life. But there are uh, writers at Liberty Ballers who actually want to be basketball writers, right? And like Spike works yeah. at WIP. So yeah. I think you've mentioned that sometimes you have to hold back a little. Maybe it was in your yeah. post lottery podcast. But like, are you worried at all about like the Sixers taking away? Uh, like game credentials from Liberty Ballers or like anything, well, any they, kind of blowback from them about things? They haven't – we've gotten credentialed a handful of times and, and Derek Bodner who used to write for us and still like is involved in Liberty Ballers but actually now writes for Philadelphia Magazine um, among other sites. Um, he's credentialed 
But it was they, they've never actually given us a consistent credential at Liberty Ballers. Um, and to some extent, I am glad because I don't want to. I think there's plenty. There's enough beat writers that get quotes, and we can just take them for free and and interpret them and analyze them. And I think that you know it'd be nice to get a little more access hand sometimes and get and do some features about it because there's guys on Liberty Ballers that would be good at that and that would help their careers and stuff. And so I care about that. But for me, and I think for most of the Liberty Ballers audience, it's they're not coming to us for breaking news or for a new quote. It's we're fine just being like, oh, you know, Bob Cooney has this quote about Brett Brown or Brian Seltzer has this quote from uh, New Orleans Noel. We can just like take it and put it on the site and we can be like, okay, here's what it means. Because I think what what we're best at is analyzing and considering all factors. And what I think the mainstream media is in Philadelphia is worst at is that. So I think we're we're better at analysis and, and thoughtful consideration and prose. And they're better at just doing the sort of grunt work of the day-to-day game recaps and all that stuff and without much context. So I'm like, fine. I, I, for them, I, I, I wish that they gave, you know, Jake Pavorsky a, a credential or, or, um, Matt, why am I blanking on his name? <laughs> Matt Carey a credential. I can't believe I just forgot his name. Uh, or any, any number of guys on Liberty Ballers because they're good and they would do a good job. For me personally, and I think for the audience that we built and the tone we've established over the last eight years, more closer to five years, um, the audience that we have doesn't need that from us. Mm-hmm. So, And I can say I think maybe my favorite blog post ever, not just Liberty Ballers, but Michael Bauman wrote the game recap where yeah. he replaced every single verb in the story with took over the team via Skype, hired his son, and ran away, yeah. which if anyone out there hasn't seen it, it's like a work of art. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really good. We've had – that's the thing is that, you know, Bauman is like a – is a pro. Like he's a really great writer, and I've actually read his novel. I don't know if he'd be – He'd be happy if I'm telling people that, but it's a lovely novel. He's a tremendous writer, and so we've had we've had the liberty of, pardon the pun of using liberty, but we've had the uh, fortune of hiring, not hiring, but having people write mostly for free for our site who are good and care, and uh, and put a lot of time and effort and consideration into how they think and not just use a gut reaction of just like, okay, well they're losing, we're gonna be mad because they're losing, and everybody's a dope. Which is, you know, a lot of what uh, sports talk radio in Philadelphia has has always been. Yeah, I think there were more Phillies blogs back when the team was in the playoffs every year. That's like, I think a lot of places just fold up shop when the team's not as interesting to write yeah. about. And we've grown. We've grown in the past three years, in the past however many years, even while the Sixers are boring and uninteresting. I think people from other teams read our blog because it's interesting and because it's it's fun to it's a good philosophical discussion that's why i think the sixers have been so interesting over the last five years because what they've been doing is like philosophical philosophical basketball and if you pay attention to basketball as much as a lot of basketball twitter does then it really you you look at it from a from a philosophical perspective of like what do you want to happen you can get into the x's and o's you can talk about pin downs and driving kicks and everything but that doesn't matter unless you have the personnel and the personnel, how do you get the personnel becomes like a philosophical discussion of what, what's important about basketball. And I think that's why for us, it was always like, let's, 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 let's rebuild. Let's rebuild 2009. Let's rebuild 2010. Let's rebuild 2011. Let's just do something because we're not going to just this mediocre product of like Tony Petit bench minutes, like isn't going to get us anywhere. 
What are we doing? They, Doug Collins wanted to sign Kwame Brown to a five-year deal. What's happening? What's the point of anything? What do, what's, what's the goal here? Are we just trying so hard to limp into the playoffs so we can just – our lives can end? It's, 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 a, it's the idea of like just let's swing for the fences. Let's, let's really try to contend. And everybody sort of got rallied behind that because it was so pointless and worthless and depressing for so many years. And to some extent, it was the last three years because we've had to have the same conversation over and over again. But on the other hand, it's like, let's try something. Let's try something. And uh, and that's why we always were. That's why, that's why we're a cult. Yeah. And so I, I think you've come around. I think uh... – I listened to your podcast from the night that Hinky uh, resigned, and I think there was just a lot more anger and even talking about, like, not even knowing if you wanted to support the team anymore or be a fan of the team. Sure. Yeah, I remember. How – I mean, how much have you come around just – or, you know, was there, like, a a moment that that happened or, like, you know, how much anger still festers with, like, the team itself and sort of that – conflict of not knowing whether or not you want to support this ownership group and, and front office that did this, uh, whereas still being a Sixers fan and obviously being excited about the number one pick, what is, has that conflict uh, sort of calmed down at all? No, I mean, yeah, a little, to some extent, the idea that we've discussed a lot about rooting for laundry. And I think Liberty Ballers, everybody over there, um, not just me who doesn't care what other people, what like the general public thinks, everybody even people that want to work in this industry have, have gotten shit for like, are you guys even Sixers fans or are you just hinky fans? And it's like, well, that's tough because some people actually were just hinky fans. They came over and started caring about the Sixers because of what the process meant and because of the philosophical ramifications of it. But even me as a guy that I've rooted for the Sixers my whole life, like I hated the team for a decade before more than a decade for a long time before hinky got there. And I was just, begging for, for like change and for different something to happen but i i think we get to a point where it's like why just because the sixers are from philadelphia and i'm from philadelphia like i'm and these people come in and do things that i disagree with from like a moral viewpoint i'm not just going to continue to just blindly support them that's never been my mo I, so especially after we've had three years of like actually trusting this guy who and the ownership i trusted ownership so much even more than hinky because i think what hinky did a lot of people could do a version of what hinky did maybe some people could have drafted better maybe some people could have drafted worse or given up on it or or not had the stomach for it but it was owners it was ownership that really gave him the leash and the power to say okay we don't care about wins in the short term we think that this plan is the right one and then for them to get bullied into Colangelo and bullied into Colangelo's kid and everything that's happened since is – that's the disheartening part. It's not that they don't agree with Hinky. It's that they lost the ability to like stick to their guns when, when we were really close to being able to cash in. Look at us right now. We're very close to being able to cash in on, and be a decent team on the way up. We're, no one was – that's the thing. that There was a lot of straw man arguments from anti-process people about like they're just going to tank forever and it's like no that no one's ever that's not the goal why would you think that's the goal how could anyone actually think that's that's the goal but that's one of that's one of the things that bothered me the most and from talking and having these same arguments at work or wherever with people the people because there are so many misconceptions but the people that thought he like wanted to tank for whatever reason like in perpetuity it's just like 
Like, why would you do that? Of course you're tanking to try and get a star and rebuild a team. That, and then the other one that bugged me was people who assumed that they knew how Hinky would act once he had a star. And the people yeah. who uh, said, well, once he gets a star, like, he's not going to be able to build a team around him. And yeah. I was like, well, you don't know that. He hasn't had the opportunity to do that. Exactly. So that was, those were like the two, uh, those are the so two I'll, arguments. I'll, if I could me. add a third, if I could add a third, it's that Hinky only did this because of job security. Oh. And he was, and it was all just a Ponzi scheme because he's going to say, yeah, we'll keep getting better. We'll keep getting better. And it'll, a decade will go by and he'll be stealing money because actually fielding a team is too, is much harder than what he's been doing, which is horseshit. He got ran out of town after two and a half years because this is very hard. This, this is very difficult. No one would choose to be like, all right, here's the plan. I'm just going to be bad for as long as possible. And they'll, I'll trick them into hiring me, keeping me hired forever. And it's just like total, totally idiotic. And I think a lot of that is just like the narrative of people pushing him out because they don't like smart people talking to them. I think he's a smart dude and people get sports people generally are afraid of the power nerd. If I could steal a term from uh, Nate Jones, who wrote uh, about the process for New York Magazine, which is a very good piece. Um, but yeah, all of it in terms of how, how I feel now towards ownership, I'm still bitter and I don't trust them. I think that I, that's not even about Brian Colangelo. I think he stepped into a situation that is very fortunate and they're set up to be very successful. And he has a lot of rope to be to make moves even that could help them win in the short term and also contend in the long term. And that's all because of Hanky. Uh, but and the owner and ownership for two and a half years. But more so for me, it's like when the Sixers and their CEO and the mainstream media that the Sixers are now like latching onto again because they start to agree with what they're doing start to like shit on us and shit on the people that supported them for years through the through this you know long process of of the teardown and then the rebuild when they're saying like yes yeah, see we are going to get better now process to progress it's just like why would you do that? Why would you do that to, to the people that were like your biggest supporters? That's just it's say, intentionally like, like thumbing your nose. And that's the other thing is yeah. that this was this is still the process was that on this general time frame they would start showing progress. So yeah, yeah. the the process to progress with by the way, the number two in the hashtag, yeah. that's that's really annoying. Tough. The Jeter really. respect thing or whatever. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, uh, yeah. And then to act like, oh well now we're gonna have progress when like clearly this this was all this is the process still. They're still in it, whether they want to be or not. Absolutely. So all of it all of it just bums me out. More more so than anything, I think I have competing uh emotions about it. On the one hand it's like sad because I think Hinky's a good dude. And I think that he just got the raw end of a deal because he did he did his job. He did exactly the job that he was asked to do. And and now he's not going to get to, like, live it up, basically. And and uh, to some extent, if firing Brett Brown would have been the same thing. But uh, but the other hand, it's just like just pure, raw, steel cut anger <laughs> at, at how we, we go from years of depression to like finally a guy that like gets it and actually has a plan and then it's like oh we're back to the other thing where you know like 35 wins is like you know okay great it doesn't matter how we get there but 35 is more than 10 so we're gonna get that and 42 is better than that so 42 is next year and then yes we're see see how much better we're getting and you just look at teams in the east you look at charlotte or 
Indiana. Indiana has Paul George, so it's a little bit different. But there's all the teams without like a top 10 player that are like, you know, we're like getting better and the things are doing well and look at us. And it's just like Toronto is a team that I like a lot. I want them to win. I want them to beat the Cavs. They're not going to, but I want them to beat the Cavs. But they're not – they don't have a shot in hell because they don't have a top 10, 15, even top 20 player in the league. And you need that to succeed because otherwise you're just running like ISOs for DeMar DeRozan from 17. And it's just – it's tough to exist without a real elite talent. And that's what Hinky's plan was all about. And now that we have one in Joel Embiid, I think, and possibly two in Ben Simmons – then we'll be gearing up for that. So to to take him away from that just is frustrating. And I just am waiting for like them to sign Jared Dudley or some shit. And <laughs> yeah, that's the, the the worry to me is that they just undo all that he did. Like, yeah. and I think again, keep going back to the chip comparisons. But you see, like Howie Roseman shipping all of Chip Kelly's guys out, and yeah. some people are saying like the narrative that he wants to make it his team and make a name for himself. And part of me just hopes they just like you know, swallow their pride and say, okay, we've got these assets. This is the way we're going to build the team and we're in a great shape. Let's move forward instead of a guy who's just like, okay, we're going to get rid of all these hinky guys and start over and start from scratch. And, you know, if they win without hinky, it would at least have been worth it. But if they undo everything he did, then it was all for nothing. Yeah. You were, the hope is that Brett Brown is like, yo, Jeremy Grant is good and like going to get better. Hollis Thompson is a solid 12th guy, whatever. He's going to catch and shoot threes for 10, 10 minutes a game. He's fine. TJ is a great backup point guard. Like, hopefully those guys that he found, Covington, that will, like, be able to stick around because in building a culture, you want that continuity. Even in the, even in the like, lower levels, I think you still want that and, and guys that Brett can trust. And I, I don't know. Just the idea of, like, adding veterans for veterans' sake was never appealing to me. I don't think that it's worthwhile. I think Carl Landry and then the year before that, Jason Richardson, like, were fine. I don't think they helped them win games. I don't necessarily know if they helped the young people develop at all. But if it takes one guy, fine. But if it's all of a sudden, like, yeah, we're going to get, you know, you look at Minnesota and they had Tayshaun Prince playing a lot of minutes this year and they were worse with him on the court. How is it going to help Carl Anthony Towns be a better player if he's worse when Tayshaun Prince is on the court? So I, I just don't know. Like, really, I think it's all bullshit narrative. And people say thing, things exist because they they exist. Like, things are the way they are because that's how we've done them. And, you know, you need veterans. And it's like, okay, well, why? And it's like, well, sometimes, yes, you need guys that know how to be in the right place. But that's also – that's as much veteran as it is just having better players. So I don't know. For me, it's all bullshit. And I think that I, what Liberty Ballers has always done, and I'm proud of it, is not, not just me and mostly not me anymore because I, I rarely write for it is like question the like assumed truth and be like, well, wait a second. Why is this the way that it is? Let's step back for a second and say like, okay, people think that Nerlens Noel isn't a good offensive player, but they're actually a better offensive team when he's on the court because he's just catching lobs or he's opening up spacing or whatever. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm happy. I, I, I'm, over the course of this podcast, I've gone from happy to sad. And I'm <laughs> sad right now, but, yeah. uh, didn't mean to bring you down. Sorry no, about that. It's, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a runaway train. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, we're uh, we're getting close to the end, but I do I want to put you on the spot if that's okay with you. With, let's do uh, it. Two questions here. So I can ask you Simmons or Ingram, but that's boring, and everybody has already basically given their answer. So I'm going to give you the whole off season and make you the GM. You've got picks one, twenty four, and twenty six. 
Yeah. You've got Embiid, Saric, Okafor, Noel, free agency. What is your plan? How would you do this offseason? Well, I'd take Simmons, um, even though that's the more difficult selection because you can take Ingram. Any team could take Ingram and just be like, oh, crap. Like we have a wing that just is, fits in everywhere, and that's really solid. But Simmons – and Simmons is a guy you'd have to build around. So and and actively move players on your team to to make it fit. So it's a tougher decision because it's like oh more work, more work and finding trade partners and all that shit. But ultimately, I think it's worth it because I think Simmons is a is an elite talent and has the potential to be a top ten player in the league. So I think you take Simmons and then you look at your roster and say, well, we have all these big guys. We have Jaleel Okafor, who I don't think fits with Simmons at all. We have Dario Sarge coming over, who I sadly don't think fits with Simmons at all. And you have Embiid, you have Jeremy Grant. There's going to be a logjam of people, Nerlens Noel, where like you got to get these guys minutes. So for me, I would take Simmons and I would try to trade Jaleel and Sarge, which is sad because I was down on Sarge and now I'm kind of back on him. But if you take Simmons, he's just a better version of Sarge. He's, Sarge actually has improved his jump shot significantly over the past few years, but but still, you you can't, I don't think, can run a lineup with those guys on the floor at the same time, um, at least for a long-term period. So I would try to trade them and, and get, get to a point where you're getting like a very shooty guard, whether it's like a Brad Beal type, although that's concerned about injuries. I, I would shop the number one pick around. If, if you can get Paul George for the number one pick, I would do it because you know that he's a, he's a stud. Um, but let's say you trade uh, Jaleel and Saric to the Celtics for number three, Marcus Smart, and like number like somebody else, some sweetener, James Young and whoever, whatever. And then so you get you get Marcus Smart to be a good defensive point guard or two guard. Uh, you draft I would draft Timothy Luawu at three and have a three and D guy. And then draft like a Tyler Ulis at like 24, and um, probably a European guy to be a little stash at 26. And then I think you're you're pretty set up. I think you look at yourself and you're like, all right, we got we have Covington to shoot, we have Hollis to shoot, we have Stauskas who may or may not uh, markedly improve next year. Um, again, I think Stauskas is a guy that continuity and consistency will help him being on a Brett Brown team for the second year in a row. Um, and so you got some shooters. You have a point guard in, in Ulis who can grow into it and not have to worry so much about, uh, you know, he can he can create, but he's more of a floor general. And I think that Ben Simmons will work well with him I, more than Ulis. I'd actually rather have a guy that can shoot better, but Ulis is a, is a fine shooter. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think they'd be set up. I think it's a, you look at a lineup like, uh, let's say let's just say something, uh, Ulis. Covington, Eulis, uh, Stauskas, Covington, Simmons, Embiid, with Nerlens coming off the bench, with Marcus Smart coming off the bench as like very, like houndy defensive guys. Hollis, Jeremy Grant. I like Rashawn Holmes still. TJ, his point guard on the on the bench. And so th- I think there's like a lot of you look at that. And that's a balanced team with some shooting. Isaiah Cannon actually becomes a, a more valuable player if they take Ben Simmons because he, he's a fine defensive point guard against point guards. He can't def- cover two guys, um, and he can't really penetrate or create for other people. But if he's just hitting threes, then that's great. Uh, but, yeah, I think I think they're closer than it seems. That's why it's like 
you look at people people got upset about them taking three centers in a row and I and again Okafor was not would not have been my pick but it's really easy to all of a sudden you make one move and you're like oh wow that actually really works better now that clears it up a whole lot and so I don't know I think they're I think they're they're pretty close to where they can seriously start growing without having to make a big free agent splash because again I don't think that you're getting a real free agent until a star is in place and so once or you get until they once, show a little of that progress and, and win yeah, some games. Exactly. So I don't think I think I think in two a year or two, a Ben Simmons Joel Embiid front court becomes like an appealing place for a two guard to flock to. And you get like a, a creative two guard maybe like even JJ Reddick. I, I don't know. I mean he's fine. He's he'd be a fine addition to the team if, if Staskis doesn't become better or whether it's that or you know, make a trade for Chris Middleton or whoever. Guys that can that, that can really shoot and really pressure a defense. And the thing with Simmons is that last year he was on the LSU team that couldn't shoot. And if you guys, if you got guys around him and he's not, that they're not making shots, then his whole weapon of being able to see the court so well is sort of gone. So I don't think we're that far away from really having a tight core that can grow together and start to really scare some people and then draw some free agents. But the concern is if they trade the wrong guys and, and try to cut the corner a little too fast, then they'll uh, you know short circuit the rebuild that we've all well, that spent is, so much time investing that, in. Then the other concern is just what if Embiid is never the guy yeah. that they think and he's going to be. Wait, but that you know I who knows? I they, can't, yeah, I can't let that I can't let that thought enter my mind because <laughs> I, <laughs> they already put those chips into the middle of the table. That's that's there already. We'll just we'll see what happens. Exactly. All right, so the last last question, and I don't want to, and I'm I'm still I'm on board with the process. Don't want to sound like I'm rushing things. That's fine. That's but fine. But a lot of people want to know and are worried about, you know, when's it finally going to happen? So can I just put you down for a, a win total number for next year and how long you think it takes before the Sixers are actually a playoff team? I think, yeah. I mean, obviously everything depends on everything. Yeah, it depends. There's no ton. way. Yeah, it's like stupid early to ask that. There's no way of knowing. Which is fine. Let's do it. We're but it's a fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say that they will try to get some free agent in there. The the concern with me is like what Sacramento did last year, which is like we're going to – they made the Stauskas trade, gave the Sixers two pick swaps and a future first, basically for the right to sign Rondo for one year and Marco Bellinelli. And it was like, what's happening? What are you doing? What's the point of that? And I think the Sixers are doing that to some extent because they're talking about – we're going to get free agents. We're going to get free agents. People are going to come here. And it's like, oh, no one wants to come here. No one's ever wanted to come here until there's a star in place. And even when Iverson was here, nobody really wanted to play with Iverson. We got like Glenn Robinson and Matt Harpering. Like it wasn't an exciting core of guys. But I would look at some Kent Bazemore, Harrison Barnes, like mid-level kind of guy that, that comes here because the Sixers are offering to overpay. And then you take a Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid plays 60 games. I, they have to trade Jaleel or Nerlens, one of them. I, I would trade Jaleel, but they have to trade one of them. Um, and I think that they win 31 games this year. And then next year, another free agent. I'm just guessing at so many things. But I would say next year they make – not this year, but next year they make the playoffs. Okay. It sounds doable. And the other thing is, like, I think a lot of people looked at Boston as 
like an example of a team that rebuilt without having to tank and how they were trying to win, but it was so much easier because they had Brooklyn's picks. Yes. And the thing that's nice moving forward is that the Sixers, they still have the pick swap with Sacramento and they still have the Lakers pick. So if they win 30 games, it doesn't matter if they're, you know, they could end up getting a top three from Sacramento or top five from the Lakers anyway. So it's like now the tanking is over. They've got those picks, which is great. Yeah. And that's the, that's the beauty of you put all those assets together and try to get as many things happening. And you, you, you never know what's going to happen. It's that you could two second round picks all of a sudden become a late first, and that late first gets transferred into this other thing. And you know they, t- they the pick twenty four, I think it's the twenty no, the twenty sixth pick was because Hinky acquired Javale McGee and didn't trade. And, and the twenty fourth pick was because they traded Thaddeus Young for to, for half a season. That I still so, I that was in the uh, in the Love Wiggins deal because I tweeted the day that that happened that I look forward to the day when we all remember Sam Hinkie won the Love Wiggins trade without getting either of them. So I have, <laughs> I have very high hopes for however that pick turns out yeah. uh, so that I can look uh, look smart there. That was and that was the smartest thing I thought he said on uh, on Zach Lowe's podcast when he was talking about Boston's roster and how every player that they currently have came from some other move they made years ago yeah. and they still have like remnants of like Ray Allen and Garnett on that team. And it was just like fascinating. Such a That's smart guy. I don't know how, you, how do you let a smart guy like that out the door? I, don't know I agree. And I think ultimately people don't want to consider that that much thought goes into it. They just want to think like you just pick the guy and he's good and you're great. And the coach makes you better. And that's how it goes. You're going, you're good. And I think that it's really more about like planting seeds and taking a bunch of shots. Not all of them are going to pan out. Yeah. And then, you know, whoever they get at 24 and 26, maybe they package 24 and 26 to move up to like 16 and take Denzel Valentine. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we have like a floor general. And all of a sudden it's like starts to get interesting about that. And it's all because of what the the house that Hinky built for us to live in and for yeah. Brian Colangelo to like take a shit in. Not that Brian <laughs> – I, I really am trying not to hate on Colangelo because he hasn't done anything bad yet. I just want him to totally call out his dad. I've said this on the Ricky before, but I just want him to say, yes, my dad's a shithead. He totally snaked me into getting this job. But whatever, I'm here. Let's all try to build with what we got. Sure. Like, it, is, it really you're right. It's not his fault that his dad did that. So Yes. And I think he didn't I don't think he wanted the job and then he started seeing like, oh man. They're so set up. I could really do something with this. And he probably believes in himself and he probably thinks that he's a good evaluator of talent, which is fine, which is great. Like I, I want him to think that. I'm Hinky was never the point of Hinky was never like I'm he's the best at evaluating talent. It was always he's just the most consistent with his ideals. And I think that those ideals lined up with what the Sixers needed to do with their barren roster when he acquired it. And so. and now the future's bright. Which is nice. And now the future is bright, but like with, you know, a stepdad. Yeah. All right. Well, I think on that note, I feel like we could easily go for multiple hours. But I think on that note uh, and with the bright future, I think uh, I think I can let you go. But uh, thanks a lot. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. It's amazing how long you can have the same arguments. <laughs> and we've been like, having it for like a year. Like, so not you and me long. personally, but just like with like everybody I know. I feel like I've had and the same. I get people ask me, and I'm like, I don't even want to talk about this. Yes. Like, well, I, in real life, <laughs> in real in real people life, when I when I if I wear a Sixers shirt, or I see people then talk about the Sixers. I'm like, I can't talk to you about it. You don't know what you're talking about. But like, <laughs> you anyone that's like on basketball Twitter is like, okay, you get it. You have context. Like normal people, I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it at all. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah. I don't know. 
All right. Well, if anyone out there, if you want to continue having this conversation, uh, you can follow Mike on Twitter. He's at Michael underscore Levin. You can check out LibertyBallers.com. You can go to iTunes and subscribe to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. Uh, while you're on Twitter, you can follow me. I'm at Mitch Goldich, G-O-L-D-I-C-H. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. I've had other guests uh, like Jason Stark, Jeff Perlman, Shiel Kapadia. I'm sure a lot of you are Philly fans, and not surprisingly, Philly seems to always come up, especially with Jason and Shiel. Those guys talked a lot about uh, their experience dealing with Philly fans, and they were a lot of fun. Sure. So if you're, sure. if you're listening to this for the first time, feel free to go back and check it out, and uh, hopefully you'll subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Um, I have a Facebook page, too. If you're not into the Twitter thing, just search uh, Mitch Goldich on Facebook, and you'll find my page where I post links to my work and podcasts and all that other stuff, and everything's at MitchGoldich.com. So once again, thanks to Mike. Great having you, and uh, talk to you later. Good stuff, man. Bright future.